Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's stay standing for the reading of God's Word. Um, this is a, a beautiful section that's very familiar, um, the temptation of Jesus. Um, so may we uh, ask the Spirit to attune our hearts uh, to space, pay special attention for what He may have for us this morning in His Word. This is uh, God's Word in Luke 4. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will be yours. And Jesus answered, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord, God, Lord your God to the test. And when he had, the devil had ended every temptation... He departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit, we, uh, we pray this morning that you would attend your word, that you would uh, teach your disciples here at Mountain Fellowship uh, to gaze upon you, to see you in all your goodness and all your truth and all your beauty, and that we might, as your apprentices, as followers of you, Oh, we may long to imitate you by the grace and power of the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I wanted to start by just telling you a story uh, about my life. Uh, when I was one year old, uh, my parents divorced. My dad um, ended up leaving, and my mom raised four children on her own, uh, never remarried, and uh, she's a pretty mar- remarkable lady. Um, so my dad, as we were growing up, we would go see him kind of every other weekend. Uh, it was never really a spiritual relationship. My dad never talked about spiritual things, never had engagement on uh, kind of deeper matters of life. Uh, and then when I became a dad, I realized wow, like it all hit me when I started having children, like all that I missed and all that my dad missed by kind of just the, the everyday grind of life, like kids doing homework, sitting at a meal, um, spilling their juice and their milk at the table and having to clean it up and all the dirty diapers and all that. Like my dad was not part, I never knew what it was like to have a dad at the dinner table. Uh, my whole life. And so uh, 
I held that for a long time, and then um, probably probably 10 or 15 years ago, my dad, uh, I think, came to the Lord, uh, and then our relationship uh, started moving towards reconciliation. It was really beautiful. In the last five to eight years of his life, there was a lot of conversation about the Lord and a lot of uh, really deep reconciliation that was made. Uh, and and words, words that my dad would just say to me uh, almost every time I saw him from then on were, fill me in on everybody. Tell me what's going on. Uh, and then inevitably, almost every time I was with my dad, he would say, I'm proud of you, son. He, just he was so excited that I was in ministry and doing what I was doing. And those words, as a son, hearing those words from a father, as you know, men, is deeply significant in your life. Uh, I felt like I was always trying to catch up for lost time with my dad, but I was deeply grateful uh, that those times with him were times of reconciliation. And the weird thing is uh, that for, for now, as I start at 52, I start evaluating my life. My dad passed away a couple years ago, and I start looking at the things I do in my life and it's remarkable how many characteristics of my father I have. Even though I didn't spend a lot of time with him and it didn't, I didn't think it rubbed off on me. But my dad was, a, he was, like just to brag on my dad, he was the vice president to the director of Oak Ridge National Laboratory. Uh, he was a nuclear physicist and just incredible at collaborating with people and really loved being around people, was good at bringing a team together. Uh, and I enjoy that kind of work. I think I got that from my dad. Um, my dad loved birds. I'm kind of a, a bird nerd. Uh, I really enjoy birds. Like I love watching birds. I love watch, looking for them. He used to take us on trips uh, to Real Foot Lake, looking at eagles and that kind of stuff. I love trains. My dad used to, one of my fond memories, as, even as a child, was going uh, on steam engine trips in Kentucky and West Virginia. Uh, and I remember all these, all these little things. I love plants. Like, I'm kind of a weirdo. I, got, I have bonsais and plants all over our house, and I'm always playing in the yard. That's all from, like, it's really strange, all the things that I picked up from my dad, even though the cumulative time with him wasn't a lot. But it's those words that I just keep going back to. I'm proud of you, son. And I want, I want us to realize that this morning, in the chronology of Jesus' life, he had just heard, before he goes into the wilderness, he hears some of the most significant words for the rest of his incarnate life on earth. And he hears those words from his father. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. Could you imagine what those words? Sometimes we think Jesus didn't, he didn't need to hear those. Those was for, for other people. One theologian actually comments that he believes this was a, a very private moment. That Jesus was the only one that heard those words. It's quite an interesting argument to read. I think Jesus needed to hear those words in, his, in the fullness of his humanity. And the and I, reason I'm giving you this background is because I believe that down at the bedrock and the root of, 
of Jesus' life and what's part of what's feeding um, his perfect obedience, part of what's feeding his love for others is this constant deep identity and security that he has the love of his father. He talks about his father all the time. Jesus is crazy about his father because his father's crazy about him. They've had this eternal relationship and he's, he's coming to do this thing, this hardest thing that's ever been done to put on human flesh and to realize that Jesus is, is willing because of the love of the father to be contained in a human body for all eternity now is just profound to me. And it's because he trusts and he loves his father. And he knows that he has his father's pleasing voice. You are my son, my beloved son, and with you I'm well pleased. So as we jump into this, I want, I want you to remember those words. And also, if you look at our text for a moment, in the very first part of it, it says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. That obviously, uh, sometimes we think and we want to make these comments like, Jesus went into the wilderness alone. And I just wanted to know on the front end that Jesus was never alone. The Spirit was with him. If you're in Christ, you're never alone. The Spirit is with you. Even those feelings of loneliness, you're never alone. The Spirit is with you. So I want you to imagine the scene for a moment, and I want to show you a, a picture of what the wilderness might have looked like. This is a, you know, there's lots of different ideas as to where the location of the wilderness is. We don't really know for sure, but we know it was across the Jordan into uh, just amazingly this theological connection of Jesus is living the second, he is the perfect Israel, the Israel that failed in the wilderness. Jesus goes into the wilderness, crosses the Jordan, some believe in likely the very same location that the Israelites came from the wilderness into the promised land and set up a, a, a rock a monument there. That Jesus crossed the Jordan, baptized in the Jordan, went back into the wilderness where the first Israel failed and Jesus succeeded. But could you imagine 40 days and 40 nights in this environment? Like, I can't even imagine, like, going out here on Signal Mountain where I could, like, gather some leaves and some stuffed moss and to sleep on. I mean, look at that. We don't know if Jesus went home first. Did he? We don't know. It doesn't tell us. Did he go home first and get a little knapsack to put his head? I don't know. Um, but I want to ask you a question, just to incarnate, when I say the word incarnate, we know what that, just, I want you to get in the, just imagine the scene being Jesus in this moment, incarnate with the fullness of his humanity right now. What would it be like to spend 40 days and 40 nights with no food in this area? Give me some words that come to mind. Lonely, hungry, hungry. miserable. It's <laughs> a good summary word. Good, yeah. What else? Exposed. Quiet. Quiet. Seeking. Seeking. 
Mark even says he was with the wild animals. It's interesting. Ooh, jackals, coyotes. <laughs> Anything else? What do you mean by that? He must have practiced, he said. There's no way he just went out for 40 days and 40 nights without a cup without have done doing that before. Okay. The practice of fasting. Uh, yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, never thought of that. It's really cool. Yeah, to think Jesus probably did as a as a Jewish boy, even had times of fasting. Yeah, it's interesting. We don't we don't pra- we don't have that practice very often uh, in the States. Right, our gluttonous, sinful ways. Don't want to go without a, a good meal at El Matate, right? We can't. Maybe you just need to do a fast from El Matate, and you'd end up fasting. That'd be pretty, pretty amazing. Um, so, yeah, I, it's interesting. My there's a, a colleague of mine who works with me uh, named Jonathan, who lives in Uganda, and he's on a 21-day fast now, and they do it every January in his church in Uganda. 21 days. And they pray the entire 21 days for revival and renewal in their church. Pretty amazing. So as you incarnate with him, and think about it, it's no wonder that the tempter comes to him at this time, the end of those 40 days. Jesus is hungry. um, He's starving. And the the tempter always seems to be offering life. And I want to show you an illustration here. And I blotted out... um, the face of Jesus, just because I don't want to violate anyone's conscience on um, commandment issues. But I want you to notice, this is a, a 1500s artist, um, named, I think I'm pronouncing his name right, Titian, uh, who did a rendering of the temptation in the wilderness. What do you notice that's peculiar about this temptation? And what's happening here, this, that stone, he's handing him a stone down there. In his hands, the first temptation. What do you notice that's interesting about it? Do I? Okay. What else? Okay. What's interesting about the tempter? Do I? He's very close. He's in human form. In what form of human? Oh, it's very hard for y'all to see that. Oh, man. Let's see. Oh, you can't even see. What in the world? Hang on. Let me see if I can. You're like, no wonder you guys aren't. Yeah, sorry. You can't see it. Well, it's a little boy. Uh, You can't see his face for some reason. He does have a face on here. It's right here. Uh, Yeah, it's it's a little boy. So it's really interesting, especially knowing Jesus' love for children in that. Well, there's, you know, there's three, these three temptations. We're just going to run through these um, in succinct order and think about them. Satan, 
always has this promise of life in his temptations. So what I want us to do is to think about these three promises of life for him. Uh, the first one, turn this rock into bread. Satan's essentially saying, come on, Jesus, you're, you're God. You're the son of God. It's been 40 days. You know you're hungry. Use your divinity. Use, you're the son of God, right? Use your powers to turn this stone into a bread and feed yourself, to gratify the desires of your flesh. You know that you're hungry. You deserve it, Jesus. Come on, satisfy yourself. Do life on your own, Jesus. You do you, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? He says, man does not live by bread alone. Matthew adds, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus never does life on his own. Y'all have heard me harp on that before. Jesus never does life on his own. And Satan's first temptation right out of the chute, Jesus goes from like, I'm ready to start my ministry, I'm baptized, the spirit descends, and he's right into the wilderness, his first thing right out of the chute. I think that's why Eric's delaying his ordination and licensure because he knows right out of the chute, I'm just kidding, Eric, like right out of the chute going into ministry, it's like, Boom! Like Satan comes after him. I think, he, I think the evil one knows, knows something's coming, right? And Jesus responds. Why does he respond the way he does? Man does not live by bread alone. And as Matthew adds, about every word that comes from the mouth of God. Because he knows he has the love of his father. He knows that he can trust his father. He doesn't have to go and produce bread from a rock. But notice every time, what do, you, what do you notice about every time that Jesus responds? It is written. It is written. It is written. Now this isn't just like mechanical for Jesus. This is Jesus' heart. He studied God's word. He's memorized God's word. And every time a temptation comes, his father's word flow out of him. He's so committed to his father. He so trusts his father that he loves his word and he's memorized it. He saturated his life in the words of his father. It's just not just a one-off use of the Bible. Interestingly enough, that Jesus quotes from the Hebrew Bible 80 times. He uses 70 different, different chapters from the Old Testament. 24 of the 39 books he quotes from. Jesus breathes God's word. He is the living word. He doesn't do life without it. And I think too, but when he says, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God, and he says, man doesn't live by bread alone. What, Jesus is admitting something straight up to the devil. Yeah, you're right. I'm hungry. I am hungry. It's been 40 days. I'm physically starving. But he realizes he's essentially saying to Satan, Satan, you don't understand the complexity of humanity here. You don't understand that man is actually way more complex than you are tempting me with. That bread is not the only thing that I live by. I actually live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and he provides for me physically the things that I need. And I, th and I just think there's a wonderful application for us here to think that everything that's going on in your world, 
and who you are, the makeup of who you are, is way more complex than just let's solve one simple problem in your life. We all know that. If you've been to any degree of life and you've been through counseling, you understand that the complexity of what's going on, what it means to be human and the complexity of your life, that it's not just one simple thing like I need to be fed. And Jesus understands that. He's saying we're, we're not just physical beings. We're primarily spiritual beings, beings who are dependent, living as dependent on the Lord. So discerning God's will in this moment is not just some mystical exercise for Jesus. He doesn't receive some vibration from God from heaven that says, don't eat the bread. Where does it come from? It comes from this deep well. I want you to understand that. Like, it comes from this deep core in Jesus that says, I am the beloved son. He's pleased with me. I've been immersed in his word. And out comes the word that I do not put my trust in anything but my father. It points them away from this self and instant gratification that the evil one's offering. No wonder, isn't it interesting later on that Jesus would say, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So to follow him, to imitate him in this, but to keep an eye on Satan's game plan. It says, notice the next temptation, this first temptation of gratifying the flesh, the second temptation of power. All the kingdoms of the world will be yours if you just worship me. There's a promise of life there. Every temptation that the evil one brings into your life and my life, there's a promise of life. But we all know that it doesn't lead to that. Right? I want you to hear... Uh, some really important words that I'm, I don't know that we ever speak very often, but, but I want you to hear this very clearly, especially children. Uh, there is one being in this world, a spirit being, that hates you. And his name is Satan. And he's evil. And he seeks to destroy you. And Peter, Peter knows this full well. He calls him a lion prowling around seeking someone to devour. Now, that doesn't mean that you go and you live in fear because if you're in Christ, you have this mass protection. I wish you could see the force field around you of God's angels and his protection and his care for you in all the ways that he does. But we do have to remember that even in this second temptation, Satan kind of takes the mask off and he brazenly offers Jesus power in the form of kingdoms of the world. It's really, a, it's a genuine offer. Satan, John says, Satan is the ruler of this world. And he's kind of offering this swap. If Jesus worships him, he'll give him, he'll give Jesus his power. And Jesus' response is what? You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Why does Jesus respond this way? Because there's this deep well of identity, of security, and his Father's word wells up within him. We kind of see this emerging pattern that uh, his, the love of his Father moves the desire and the will of Jesus, 
which produces in him what he does, which is obey the Father perfectly. But it comes from a deeper well of his roots, this deep well of love from the Father. The other obvious thing in this is that um, by, by Jesus saying no to the... What, I mean, what would you do if you were offered the powers, all the, all the kingdoms of the world? Could you imagine the power that's being offered to Jesus? Here's what's really beautiful about this. is When Jesus says no to power, what is he saying yes to ultimately? Ultimately, power from his father, but he's saying yes to the weakness of the cross. And then he's going to receive his, his just reward from the father, which is enthroned at the right hand, reigning and ruling forever. Jesus isn't falling for it. What offers of power are you being given? And you just think about your conversations for a moment, just to give a, a little bit of an illustration in this. Think about the offers of power or the ways that you fall into the temptation of power. We do it all the time in conversation. You know, just use a, use a conversation, for example. You're, in a, you're standing in a circle of friends and someone shares a story and kind of everyone laughs at that story uh, and, man, you feel great because you've shared a story. Everybody's kind of included. You're feeling affirmed. And then all of a sudden, your friend next to you tells a bigger and a better story. And you get a little more, a little more, the laughter goes up a notch, and, and you kind of go back down. It's like, it's like there's, it's almost like worship and power dynamics go together. Because when we gain power, when we go to the upper hand and we're trying, living on that scale, there's worship that comes with it. It's very poisonous. So this whole idea of gaining power and gaining worship and jockeying for position, beating someone with a better story, my brother and I call it top-hatting. Try to top-hat the next person and top-hat the next person. With a better story, with more laughter, with more, more worship I receive. Oh, sorry. That's my warning to... Uh... So, <laughs> last, uh, the last one here um, is uh, the temptation of self-promotion. He takes him to the pinnacle of the temple. Uh, the, the top of the pinnacle of the temple in those days uh, was the top of Solomon's colonnade, the highest part of, of the temple wall, and it was said to be at that time 400 feet to the top. So imagine Satan taking Jesus to the top of that wall, and Jerusalem, the Jerusalem temple is like where everybody's gathered, everybody's going to be there, and he takes him to the top of the wall, and he says, hey Jesus, jump. And Satan's trickery is he brings in his, his father's words to him. He says, yeah, doesn't your father's words say that the angels will catch you? Your foot's not going to strike a stone. Like the deception of the evil one. He's getting trickier with Jesus. 
And he says, hey, Jesus, jump. Like, what would it be like? What would happen if Jesus jumps and he's flying down, you know, 90 miles an hour, however fall he's fast and he's how, however fast he's falling. And, and, he, and he gets right to the ground and all of a sudden, he just levitates. And then eases down to the ground. Like everybody around the temple would go, whoa, who is this? He's amazing. This has to be God, right? And they would begin to worship him. And Jesus says, once again, life for me is not about promotion of myself. It's about promotion of my father. He is so deeply in love with his father that everything, no matter the greatest temptations of the world, are offered to him. And he says, that's not what I desire. I love my father. My father loves me. I trust him explicitly. So those temptations we can learn from. And I want, I want you to think for a moment as we close up just some uh, what I call apprentice points. Being fully human in Christ does not consist of a life of self-gratification, a life of grabbing onto power, nor a life of self-promotion. It's not a life of climbing to the top. Laura and I were just talking before the service, like all the different things going on in our world, right? God's economy being more and more convinced that God's economy is that if you're a follower of Jesus, that in the midst of entering into his suffering, you're in, entering into a fellowship with him. He's pulling you away from these temptations of power and pleasure and promotion of self. And he's pulling you into the life and the story of his father, which is a story of of death and resurrection. It's a story of if he brings uh, hard things into your life and, and allows those things to come into your life that he's molding and shaping and, uh, and turning you to look more like the face of his son. He's doing more and more to shape your faith and he knows that part of the way that you struggle and become more beautiful is through the, the hardships in your life. It's just true. I don't mean to sound crass, but get used to it. I'm serious. Most of this life is, dealt, is dealing with the hard things and reminding yourself, God is at work in me. I need this because if I don't have this, I'm going to gratify my flesh I'm going to lean towards gaining more power and I'm going to promote myself. He knows what's best for you. He loves you. Are you embracing the Father's story? Last thing I want to say to you is that if you're in Christ, I believe just as Jesus was clinging to those words, these words are your words. The words at Jesus' baptism are your words. If you're in Christ, he says to you this morning, I want you to hear this because some of you had bad dads. 
And this is hard when you reflect on that. But you have one dad who's eternally good and eternally for you. And he says these words to you in Christ. You are my beloved son and daughter. Let those words just wash over you. And he says, I'm pleased with you. Quit all the strife, all the internal struggle of trying to gain power, trying to get the upper hand on the next thing or the next person. Trying to go and just say, my flesh really wants this. This is what I want. It's what I feel. It's what I need. And go to the Father and say, you're enough for me. These words that you say to me are enough. Is he enough for you? Think about that question today. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks. Thank you, Jesus, for showing us the pathway to true righteousness. The pathway to life is clinging on holy words, clinging on words that are true. Lord, there's some of us here this morning that we just don't really believe that you're pleased with us. Lord, I pray for that brother or sister in Christ who is having trouble believing in that in the depths of their hearts. Holy Spirit, you administer in a way that brings peace as they hear those words that you say over them every day they wake up and their feet hit the floor. Ah, my son, my daughter, I'm pleased with you today. Thank you, Jesus, for giving us that. In the name we pray, amen.